Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll hear from Benjamin Roth about his improvisational journey, play a couple games, and most importantly, learn how he improved his life. Let's hit it. Welcome to Improv for the Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lee Evans, and today I am joined by the incredibly talented improviser, wise teacher, and quality human being, Benjamin Roth. Benjamin Roth, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. It feels really good to be here in a busy day of work and stuff right before this, but I'm glad I could make it. Well, good news for you. We actually have your boss on the line. He's going to chime in and just give us some feedback about your performance lately, uh, assign you a couple projects. So that's how we're going to start the podcast today. Perfect. Great. I feel like I really crushed this last project. So I mean, it shouldn't be anything but good news. Fantastic. Wow. Okay. Benjamin Roth, <laughs> quality employee. Uh, so Benjamin, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your role here at uh, Improv for the People? How long have you been involved? Uh, so right now uh, I am a main company member and part of the faculty as a teacher uh, here at the studio. And I've been with the studio since probably 2015, 2016. Wow. Uh, when I started out as a, just as a student. And uh, pretty much just took classes as a beginner and have just stuck with it. And eventually I talked to Matt and was like, you know what? I want to teach. I want to give it back. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay, so ben has, Benjamin has been around for the long haul. And I definitely want to dig into that because I feel like there's been such an evolution at IFTP and I only know a few moments within its history. So we're going we're gonna to dig into that a little more and understand like how you got started and how it's changed over time and how it's changed you over time as well. Yeah. Definitely curious to hear more about that. But it'll have to wait because as always, as tradition here on Improv for the Podcast, we have to play a couple rounds of three things. So Benjamin, are you ready to list some things for me? Yes. Fantastic. And I'm assuming you know how this game is played. Amazing. All right. So uh, for those of you at home, just if you might not know, I'm going to be giving Benjamin three different categories. And in each of those categories, he will have to list three things. But as always on Improv for the Podcast, it's personal. Yep, that's right. I've done some detective work. I know every single detail about Benjamin's life. Social security, mother's maiden name, uh, fingerprints, you know, all the good stuff. What are my fingerprints? Um, you have them. You did your homework. I did. I did. Not to brag. <laughs> All right. Here we go. So these are three things. Things you eat cold. Ice cream. One. Yogurt. Two. Um, chocolate. Three. These are three things. Very nice. Best Overwatch characters. Um, Brigitte. One. Um, Zenyatta. Two. Uh, May. Three. These are three things and good choices. Finally, favorite video game projects you have personally worked on? Um, State of Decay 2. One. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Starfield. Two. Um, uh, Crash Bandicoot. Three. These are three things that hopefully don't violate any NDAs. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, well done. Thank you for jumping on that. Uh, I have a lot of questions. So your first answer foods that are cold. The first thing you said was ice cream. Now, Benjamin, tell me, what is your favorite type of ice cream? I really love ice cream. Uh, I really love chocolate. Um, hence my third, my third mm-hmm. answer for a cold thing. Um, but uh, I really love, really love uh, chocolate, especially like moose tracks or like, you know, something that has like Ooh, chocolate yeah. within chocolate. 
with like fudge chocolate. So it's like, if it's like multi-chocolate going on, like I'm all about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into that too. Just like various types of chocolate all layered together. Yeah. That's something interesting there. Okay. Okay. All right. My second category was Overwatch characters. And, uh, you know, I have to agree. Those are three characters I quite enjoy playing as, um, that I let my team, you know, they carry me and then I can just play as whoever I like. Oh man. So yeah, Brigitte, who is fantastic, but Reinhardt's daughter, right? Tor- Torbjorn's daughter. Torbjorn's daughter. Whoa. Why did I think Reinhardt? I'm not Reinhardt, sure. She's like, Reinhardt's like her mentor. Right. Because they both like have the, the whole shield thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. She's like a hybrid between the two, I guess. Yeah. Because she gives out armor. She has a little shield. Okay. Okay. And uh, our listeners are huge Overwatch fans. So oh, we're going <laughs> well, to imagine they are. We're going to get into the meta uh, <laughs> Overwatch 2. We're going to talk microtransactions tonight, uh, monetization within video games, games as a service, uh, oh, you know, all Can't that wait. stuff. I'm trying to think of more buzzwords. Um, <laughs> loot boxes. Loot boxes. That no longer exist. True. Yeah. Rest in peace. That was my favorite way to, uh, to let rich people get richer. But no more. Rest in peace. Um, I do got to say uh, a glaring error perhaps in your list is that you didn't include Reinhardt actually. Oh, personally big fan. You know, I've ha- I had my moments with Reinhardt. Okay. He's, he's kind of hard for me to play cause I feel like I, I like to charge in there. Um, and then I just die real, yeah. real quickly. So I like kind of playing more defensive. I like playing healers for got the most it, part. Um, and those that can, even though Br- Brigitte is, you know, more, Frontline, I think she's kind of cute. So yeah, yeah, fair, 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 fair points. Would you say um, of healers is Zenyatta? Would you say your favorite? Um, I would probably say Mercy is probably my Mercy. favorite. I mean, yeah, um, <laughs> but I enjoy Zenyatta's both offensive and defensive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, play styles more of a mix and can kind of shift back and forth. Okay, yeah. okay. I respect that. I like Zenyatta. I'm terrible at healing, but at least Zenyatta, I can feel like I'm making some sort of impact. Right. That's what's great about being a healer is like, yeah. you know, you feel like you're still contributing even if you don't get any kills. Yeah. And it's hard to get kills as mercy. Kudos yeah. to battle mercy players. Yeah. And those that's... of you who don't know what a battle mercy is, it is a mercy character that is really offensive and uses their secondary pistol. Yeah. A lot. And like and successfully. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've never done. But you know, for those of you who can, good for you. All right. So moving to that last category. Projects you've worked on. Now we'll probably get into this a little bit, just kind of talking about later in the episode, uh, getting into how improv has maybe affected your life outside of the studio. But uh I know you have worked in like the video game industry. You've done a lot of motion capture stuff, I imagine maybe three D modeling as well, things like that. If you want to expand on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've actually, I've actually have not really done anything with motion capture. Oh, okay. Um, so a lot of what I do is actually being in like early versions of the games and like actually playing the games. Oh, okay. Um, and then like we have special tools that allow us to, you know, uh, sort of like, like, like cheat codes, you know, give us God mode or infinite ammo and type of types of things like that. Um, and I go in and we can like, you know, detach the camera and like fly a virtual camera mm. around the game space and create cinematic shots uh, to showcase the game. Uh, okay. Yeah. So like for media and marketing materials, things like that, trailers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's all most, mostly trailers or like trailers or like, you know, TV spots, things on like Instagram or yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Anything to help like be like, man, this game is beautiful. Look at this scene. Look at this moment. Like, look at this action right here. Yeah, exactly. It's really cool. So you're, you're like playing within the playground that's created by the developers. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it's, it's interesting because a lot of the games when we're working on them, they're not done yet too. Mm. So it's like the games might have some bugs still and are yeah. still being polished. So it's like, Hey, you can only shoot in this one corner of the game because mm. that's the only corner that works and is finished good luck <laughs> please don't expose us yeah. right yeah <laughs> all right i got i got a video game question what is your favorite engine to work in and what's your least favorite engine to work in um my fate well what's interesting is because a lot of companies have their own like unique engines um mm. I don't want to go into the specifics, like naming the engine That's true. for That's NDA true. We purposes, can, but I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate an engine that definitely has like a lot of functionality when it comes to like, like camera tools. So like, you know, being able to adjust depth of field mm. or like being able to like adjust the lighting or, um, being able to manipulate, you know, how fast the, the like camera moves, you know, whether it's, you know, I can like Dutch the camera or, you know, speed it up or slow it down and how, that's all mapped out onto a, onto a controller, which is usually what we use. We hook it up like a second controller to control the camera. Mm. Um, but then there are some, some games like a, like a big engine is the un, unreal engine, um, which is pretty, pretty standard. Yeah. Um, shout out Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, certain companies can like develop it in their own way to like suit their, their needs. And, but like that game or that engine has a very basic, camera system so it's like it it's very limiting so when a game engine comes around that has really ro robust tools uh it's a blessing yeah it empowers you as a creator right you're like i can make your game look better if i have the tools i need as a creator exactly yeah, yeah. which i mean that totally makes sense it's like are you giving me basic equipment or are you giving me some advanced stuff yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting too. And like, that's what I kind of enjoy about it is like the constraints. So it's like not every game is made the same way or has mm. the same tools. So you need to kind of learn it, like what tools are available, and like trying to create the, um, the best thing that you can with the limited resources. Got it. Ah, I like that. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes, and this is my opinion is like, sometimes if you have constraints that can actually push you to create something better than if you had no constraints at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, what's so interesting about, you know, this or like working in like the, uh, games for like advertising is like, you know, it, it's very similar to like live action trailers, you know, but what's interesting is like the editors, they have like the dailies and like all the footage that they've shot for the movie and they have to make all of that work unless, of course, they go back and do reshoots, which, you know, takes time and money. Whereas for us, we generate everything so it's like if we create a scene and like you know like oh like you know we're not having like the right amount of coverage or we would really love an insert of this one character doing this whatever we can go back and do that so it's like there are more possibilities in terms of what we can create and we can like keep iter iterating on things over and over again too which kind of like it's both a, a, a gift and also a curse yeah because it's like the work is never done. Right. You're like there's always a little more we could tweak, but you have to finish your projects at some point, right? Turn things in. Yeah. It's a, reminds me of a quote, uh, and I may have referenced this on another podcast, but it's <laughs> such a good quote because it's applicable, I think, to your work because it's, you know, it's like you're creating a film almost, right? In that aspect. And 
I was watching the uh, Star Wars Episode One Phantom Menace special features. Mm. Everyone should check them out for that, you know, movie that came out 20 plus years ago. But uh, I think it was one of the producers. He has this line, or it might have been a special effects supervisor. He says, you know, film is never finished, it escapes. Mm. Which I think that is often so true with many creative projects, right? Because it's more like you have a deadline and you get as much done as you can. And then at some point you have to let it go and be like, you know, it's pretty good, but there's always more I might want to add or change or modify. It's really, it's a really interesting quote in like, in seeing it as escaping as if it's like the art itself had developed its own sentient consciousness to leave but it's really, you know, like the create, like whether it's the outside pressures to like let it go or like, you know what, you need to de- deliver it now. But it's, I would say it's, you know, really like on the, the artist to be like, okay, like it's time to let this go and be experienced. And that's what I enjoy about being like a creator is like I enjoy sharing what I make with people and like kind of seeing how it impacts them, how they react to it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree because at some point like you like your opinion can only matter so much about your own project and you want that feedback and that reaction response from everyone else, right? You want oh, to be able to that see. That feedback feels good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't know about that, but I'm glad <laughs> oh. it does for you. <laughs> All right. Well, you ready to jump into some improv? Let's do it. All right. Thank you for sharing about your career a little bit too because I, I mean, we could do a whole podcast talking about that because I think uh, the video games industry is just something that's fascinating and I, there's so many aspects of it that I think people don't realize. And I think often like the work that you do is something that people don't even know about and mm. could, could go for some education on, you know? Oh yeah. 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 Especially since video games get, can get kind of a bad rep at times. Sure. So. Yeah. And I think, well, I'm of this opinion that video games are art and I know some people don't agree, but I'm very much of that opinion and I will die on that hill. That's another podcast right yes, there. Yes, that is another <laughs> podcast, but yes, that's, I mean, There's some video games, I don't know, they're pretty bad art, but others, you know, masterpieces. But anyway, that's besides the point. We're here, Benjamin, to talk improv. Uh, I want to know your history, your story with it. So what we're going to do is we're going to start at the very beginning. I want you to tell me the first time you learned what improv was. Not even did it, just like you heard the word, maybe you saw it. What did that look like for you? Um, For me, my first experience with improv, and I would imagine that like, Growing up, people around my age probably have the same experience of watching Whose Line Is It Anyway. Oh, yeah. I would imagine I have a lot of people giving you that that answer as like a first time. I would say probably about 70% of episodes thus far okay. <laughs> that have been recorded, but which goes to show its influence, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's like there wasn't really, of course, you had like live comedy before that, but like for an, imp, like for an improv show, it's probably the not L is well, as well known as like, you know, you know, scripted theater or like, or like stand up comedy, you know, you don't really see it broadcast. You don't really see improv shows broadcasted that often because of its nature. Yeah. So for that, um, you know, seeing, you know, those guys up there are on on that show is just like, just, it was just very inspiring. And like, you know, I just remember like always just like laughing and like watching it with my family. Yep. Yep. I remember the first time, yeah, my parents introduced it. I was like, I don't know what this is, but this might be better than anything else I've ever seen on TV. I mean, we were also watching like Extreme Home Makeover at the time, but (laughs) you know, things like that. So how old were you when you uh, first started watching Whose Line? Um, I was probably, (sighs) I was probably like, like 10 or 12 maybe. Okay. Yeah. 
I'm I'm not great at remembering eight like the age numbers. I'm like you could say like maybe like maybe like third, fourth grade, maybe like I can remember that my childhood via like the grade yeah. level yeah. more so than like the age. I mean, I feel like that's the best way to anchor it. You're like, yeah, yeah in fourth grade, uh, this happened, which is, <laughs> I mean, that tells us enough, you know, yeah. we can generally know what age you were in fourth grade. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you discovered who's line sometime third, fourth grade, maybe 10 to 12 years old, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And uh, from that point forward, were you involved? Like, were you performing? Were you doing theater as a kid? Any sort of like performances or was that not really your wheelhouse? Um, I would, my older brother and I would make, um, you know, short films. Like he, what's he kind of learned uh, like videography and, and filmmaking and that. So he would, I, he and I would, you know, kind of make a little short films around the house and I would make videos for school projects. Um, so that kind of like, and I would both, I would usually be in them as well. Um, but I definitely liked the behind the scenes stuff more. Um, and so I kind of did that throughout, throughout middle school and, you know, got really good at that kind of like video production stuff. Um, and then in high school, uh, I became involved in the drama department doing mm. stage crew. Um, and then I found out about, and I'd taken a, um, like an intro to drama class as well. My fresh, my freshman year. Um, then I found out that the drama department had like a, um, they had like a, like improv nights. And so, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that was like my first experience, like both from the, the drama class and the, the improv nights, so like kind of really getting the sense for live, uh, live theater and like actually kind of being involved in that. And I, I do, I did like performing, but I was definitely nervous about it. Like it always found myself like getting anxious and, uh, about like prepping for it and like not wanting to memorize lines or things like that. Yeah. Um, All the struggles that come with like live performance generally like plays and especially in high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I was definitely like pretty nervous too around just like, like public speaking and just like being in front of like a lot of people um, I was not super comfortable with. So I was always like more drawn to being behind the scenes than actually being the one um, up front. But once when I started doing like the improv, like the improv nights, like, and I kind of just kind of kept doing them. Like I was like, this is, this is a lot of fun. Like this just to like play and be silly and goofy like that. I was like, it was a real joy. So what did, what did that jump look like? So you were in high school, you're taking this intro to drama class. You heard about like these improv nights that they had. What kind of pushed you? You're like, you know what? I'm going to go check out improv night. Was it like, I'm going to be the future uh, Colin Mockery <laughs> or was it just like, eh, screw it. Like, let's go do it. I think it was, it was definitely more of the screw it. Let's just, let's just go, go and watch. I think I, you know, like in being involved in the drama department and like having a, like a lot of my friends were the ones that were actually per performing. Mm. Um, so like kind of getting like, just like watching them and seeing how much fun that they were having, getting into characters and things like that. And I just kind of, from what I remember, I just felt like, um, it just looked like a lot of fun. Like they're just having a lot of fun and like, and then, there was that part of myself that does enjoy performing for others and making other people laugh that, uh, I wanted to lean into more of, but it was definitely like, there was definitely a lot of fear around it for sure. It's yeah. just like, yeah. I was scared, but also like, you know what? I just, I just want to do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Just, you're like, you know what? I'm going to show up. 
So how long from when you first went to one of those improv nights? Were you just an audience member the first time? I think so. It's at all, it's all pretty blurry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I want to say I probably like went to the first one and just watched just to kind of get a feel for it. Yeah. Um, what is this? Yeah. What is this? Like, how does, how does this work? They're just making it all up off the top of their heads. Like, so, I mean, it was just very much like, very much like the show and they were playing games like whose line is it anyway? Mm. And, um, but yeah, I think, I, and, and I think in just getting, cause I didn't really know a whole lot of the people like in, in the department. So it was like a lot of, it was a new group of people that I was meeting for the first time. So there were those jitter, those like social jitters of getting to know those people. Um, to feel comfortable like getting up there and doing improv with them. Yeah, I mean, that's a big leap too. You're, like, you're already putting yourself out there by attending and then you're surrounded by like, you're like, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> right. Like that's a lot, especially in high school. I mean, that's, it's, it's easier as an adult sometimes to have that courage. But as a high schooler, whew, I, I salute thee for that. Thanks. Okay. So started attending how long or maybe not how long, but when was the first time you got up on stage with them during that day? those improv nights. How was that? You know, I, when I first went, I think that was like my freshman year. I don't know how much I went up and performed that first year. The memories that are kind of coming to me as I think about it, I remember more. So it might've been like my sophomore year was when Mm. I really kind of got up the courage to perform. And like, as I was becoming more friendly and like knew the other, uh, People, and like the, the other kids that were like like a year or so above me um and so i think like as i started to bond more with them i felt more comfortable and like more desire to like go up and like uh perform yeah yeah i mean that makes sense yeah you had to kind of like build your own little niche in there and you're like okay i know people now like i've got people older than me that i can kind of look up to or they mm-hmm. can look out for me or vice versa so then yeah kind of like as soon as you kind of found your little community, you were able to like step up in that. Yeah. Which is really cool. I mean, yeah, man, sophomore in high school doing improv. That's awesome. So, uh, okay. So you're a sophomore in high school, you're doing improv. Mm-hmm. What did that look like? That first show, maybe your first couple shows or just that first whole year. Yeah. Oh man. It, it, it's honestly been like, I haven't really thought about it. Sure. Like that, um, that much lately because it's just it's just like i mean granted high school in and of itself is just like just like a blip i mean and being yeah, involved in like drama department you know doing a a play in the fall and then doing a musical in the spring yeah you were um, busy so yeah so busy so it was like I, I i wish that there i could have dedicated more time to improv there um so it, it was definitely like more of like a of like an afterthought like it mm-hmm. wasn't like a priority um, as much as it is like now. Okay. So there was a shift. There was definitely a shift. Um, and it was, it it was that like, and I never really saw my, saw myself as like, you know, wanting to like be on SNL or or anything like that. It was definitely just like something that I enjoyed doing, um, you know, with my other drama department members and like, just like laughing and just kind of just, yeah, just like really just kind of just getting to be goofy for yeah. for a little while and just like play some like fun games and just see what we could come up with, you know? Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't remember like how well, like, like the show, I want to say like the show was relatively went well. Um, I don't recall being as critical of myself back then oh, as I was yeah. as, I, as I am now yeah. being a teacher and uh, performing more. 
Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, I'm glad that I got it, that I got a taste for it then because then I didn't pick it up again for, you know, at least like another, like maybe like five or six years. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I see maybe like the role of improv in high school was one, an opportunity to hang out with friends, just have fun. I imagine too, being involved in any sort of production, you want to blow off some steam every once in a while. Oh yeah. Those are stressful, like. Uh, they just are musicals, plays, whatever. Like it's just a stressful process through and through. So getting to do improv, I imagine you're just like, Hey friends, like let's get in here. Let's go mess around and do some silly stuff on stage. That's, it's pretty ideal. And they also weren't necessarily shows like to the public. I think they were mm. really just like, Hey, the drama department is having a show. And like, you know, obviously I'm pretty sure like friends or like family and friends outside could come, but it wasn't like, you know, a public show at like a venue. It was like in our high school's black box theater. Yeah. You, you were know? doing it for you rather right. than anyone else, which I think is very admirable. Hmm. It's just like, we just love showing up and doing this every week. You can come if you want. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is the right attitude to have about it in high school. Cause that, high school improv can get interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on that. But, but I, that seems very pure to me. Hmm. Yeah. Just for the sake of, Hey, we're having fun. We're getting up on stage, just messing around, making things up and just, yeah, doing it for the heck of it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, what you said, I think, I feel like this will probably be something that comes up later too, but just like having that, having that space to like express, you know, in, especially in like high school when you're still Mm -hmm. like, you know, still figuring your life out. Oh yeah. Everything's brutal. Everything's (laughs) brutal. Just like social, like being social and relationships and all that kind of stuff. So it's like just to have that kind of time where, you know, like you, like it's like you said, it's just very pure and fun and unfiltered. Um, it's really just a gift. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So you do improv through most of high school, Mm -hmm. you graduate high school, you go to college. Was there any improv during your college years or was there a little bit of a hiatus, if you will? There was zero improv in college. Zero improv. Yeah. Because I became too focused on getting a, um, uh, campus job. Got it. To start earning some money. I understand. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny, like I had actually, my like freshman year, I had initially gone to like the theater department mm. to like look into doing stage crew because sure. I just enjoyed that community. Yeah, it's, in, a, it's in, a great in, in high school. In. And I remember going to like maybe like one or two sessions of their like build crew, mm. and then it just—I don't remember if I just didn't really jive with them, or maybe just like the thought of like having or like earning money just seemed more appealing to me. Yeah. Um, I think it was that one. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then, and then that just kind of became my focus for my time at college. Like I hadn't even thought once about like looking for improv or anything like that. It just, it just didn't come up. I just mainly hung out with other like filmmaking students or film department guy. Yeah. 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 Um, or, um, the people that I worked with. Yeah. And I think, the unfortunate part of college is that I was an acting major. So uh, I think what's unfortunate is that college becomes a lot more segmented than something like high school where like you can get anyone in the room to join something, but college, you know, it's like, well, you have to be this major to be involved with this. And, you know, like every department, you know, even within like a college of the arts, you know, there's film, there's theater and, you know, there's visual arts, performing arts, all that stuff. Like it's, it's harder for like cross curricular 
Like it's hard to be involved in cross-curricular activities. Like if you're not majoring in that thing, it's hard to get involved with another department. For sure. For sure. Yeah. There was definitely, um, I mean, I was thankful because I worked in my campus's student center. Mm. So like I was constantly surrounded by like other groups and org organizations. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think, but improv or like the, cause I'm pretty sure there was like a comedy group. Um, I don't remember what it was called exactly, but that was at my school, Temple University. Shout mm. out to Temple Owls. Um, um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, no, it was, I just didn't, I just, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like they're just depending on the crowd that you kind of spent your time with, like, um, you're just not, you know, get introduced or like, um, so we're like experienced to mm -hmm. th those other things. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And especially like, you're like, well, I got a job. I got to focus on that because I need money. And then I'm also, you were probably very focused on your work as a film major. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole other deal <laughs> in and of yep. itself. Like all that it takes to be a film major. I know I remember I had a lot of friends who were film majors and they were, uh, they, they'd be struggling at times. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of, well, I feel like, I mean, that's a huge creative output to have during college, you know, mm -hmm. from high school, you were involved in stage crew doing improv and whatever, like all the other things you were involved in high school and then college, and you just turn your focus to film, mm -hmm. um, which think is really cool and i think there's a part of me that was like maybe i could have been a film major instead of an acting major but i'll never know um and I, i'm not going to regret it but there's a small part of me you know that <laughs> would want to explore it sometime um okay so you graduate temple U university owls mm -hmm. <laughs> um and what happens after that um what happens after that is i basically moved straight out to los angeles all right because i had done like a study away program my final semester at temple in la mm. and i just you know really just really enjoyed the vibe of like the city and just like the newness of it and sure. like the weather obviously um and i just knew that like new york wasn't really the place i wanted to go i knew i had to go to either new york or la yeah that's about and it. Yeah. kind of meeting people here and just kind of getting a taste for it just like you know what i just i need to go back so um Pretty much month after I graduated, I packed up my stuff and I drove out. Wow. And you had all that money saved from your campus jobs, right? Exactly. Hey, yeah. there it is. See, yeah. It ended up paying off later. And it, and it worked out too because I lived, uh, the first place I moved to when I, li I lived in Burbank, I mm. lived in like a ranch house with like like nine other people. Oh my god! And I shared a bedroom too. Yeah. yeah. So like my rent was dirt cheap. Yeah. Dirt cheap. So there like it was kind of helpful uh, to kind of have that for the first like year, year and a half that I was uh, yeah. just starting out here to kind of not lose all my money right away and yeah. kind of just get my footing. Definitely. Yeah. I think I remember my rent, I think like right out of college, it was cheap because I, yeah, I shared a room and it was like maybe like 400 bucks a month, which I would do a lot to pay that again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, because it's, it's not 400 a month anymore, I'll tell you that. And yeah. I imagine yours also wasn't 400 a month. It, yeah, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the small part of me that misses that. <laughs> I, do, I do miss that. I can't say that I miss having a roommate, though. Yeah. Yeah, don't miss that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that first apartment out of college, that was, a, it was kind of a roach motel. So, I, was, uh, I mean, we lived in it my senior year as well, but I, uh, yeah. 
Right. It feels like the rite of passage though for oh, like, yeah, li- like living out on your own in, in like a new place, like just yeah. living in a dump. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, and this place was, this place wasn't a dump. I mean, it had, it, it had character. It, yeah. it had character. It's, it's seems seen some shit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it was, it was cozy and it was nice to live with a bunch of people too. So yeah. it's like, you were never really it's alone. It's kind of fun too. And it helps kind of keep that college feel coming yeah. out of college because I think that's a big adjustment period for people. Cause you're suddenly not just around your friends, like generally in proximity all the time. Right. We're just like with like your students, you're like, you're like, you're like, you're like classmates, you know? Yep. Yep. You're like, Oh yeah, guys, I gotta go to my, uh, <laughs> seminar tonight like you know like whatever <laughs> except that all changes it's like y'all gotta go to your minimum wage jobs <laughs> yeah whatever okay so you graduate college you move to burbank living in a ranch house with mm-hmm. nine people yep wow okay so out of college were you like jumping right into the film industry were you just finding whatever job you could get to kind of make it work what did that look like um thankfully i mean i i pretty much jumped straight back into film awesome. uh and i was just basically just working on set, you know, for like a, like the first year and a half, like PA stuff, PA stuff, art department, um, working, you know, on like bigger, like indie movies, the occasional kind of commercial, like YouTube thing. Um, yeah. And, and like, and that, and that was, that was a lot of fun just like getting to be on set. Like it still had that same kind of like, um, family feel as like, you know, as like working on like stage career, just like, yeah, you know, you're all true. working long hours to get, you know, make this one thing happen. Um, and yeah, so those were, those were some, some good times. That's awesome. On set. Yeah. And just able to get like right into it as soon as you moved. Cause I think for some people that can be a huge challenge is just breaking in, even in a PA position. Cause it's like, you got to know someone or have connections. You can't just roll up and be like, I say, son, I want to be a PA. <laughs> like, I, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you also have to be good and like people want to work with you again yeah, too, yeah. which I think is the other like big thing. Like if you do a not so great job or don't have a great attitude as a PA, then it's like, you're going to you're you're struggle to find more work. Yeah. It's not like every moment can be a reflection on your next job opportunity. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, Hey, yeah. I noticed that guy, Benjamin, he, uh, he's spitting my coffee. <laughs> I don't think you should bring him back for season two or, you know, whatever that was. Just to make it clear. I never spit in someone's coffee. Just, uh, just for the listeners at home. <laughs> that one's for the, uh, uh, you know, video watchers, bad radio. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, that would shock me if you did that. You are not that kind of person. Uh, <laughs> but are you No. All right. So we're working in film. We're being a PA, jumping from project to project. How long until, you know, getting into your new film career do you discover or get back into improv? So it was probably, so I was working in film and then I got a job um, in actually in in advertising. Okay. Um, I started off as an office PA and then Mm. that's where I found out about video game trailers. Ah. Um, so then I got kind of brought into the department as it was kind of going through some changes and like, you know, and, and growing again. And, um, so once when I started doing that was when, I don't know, I was probably doing that for like, you know, at least like half a year or so, um, was when I was like starting to kind of get burned out. Um, because like video games have always kind of been my like outlet, mm-hmm. you know, after school or, you know, just yeah, to like, sure. just to like chill or like outside of like watching movies. Yeah. I can relate. 
And then the moment I started working for them, the last thing I wanted to do was go home and play more video games. Because it's just like work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and then this was also around the same time too that I started to do more kind of like inner work on mm-hmm. myself. Um, and so it's like the idea of like playing video games for hours on end just like wasn't as appealing to me anymore. I was yeah. like, I want to get out there. I want to be doing things. I want to be meeting people. I want to be in a relationship. Um, and just like, it felt like video games outside of work were just kind of like an, uh, an obstacle to yeah. getting those things. It's like they were your work and they were just taking up your time that you could spend doing other things if you wanted. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, so like I was in advertising kind of getting burned out looking for a new outlet. And then I was at the same time, I was also dating someone mm. that, was uh wanted to do stand up and improv and I went to some of her improv shows. Ah. And that was when it, it all came kind of came back to me. Like that like who like who's lying and you know doing like the drum department Im- improv nights. Uh I was just like, I want to do that again. Yeah. Like that was like that like seeing her shows made reminded me like how much fun it was. Yeah, you're like I I, I can get up there. I've done this before. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And just like, yeah, yeah, just like seeing her, seeing her doing it, and just like, and just playing, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that being a lot of fun, and um, just kind of like the freedom in it. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna go look for some improv classes. So, shout out whoever that lady was for getting Benjamin back into improv. So, what what was like your action plan, or how did you like? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm in LA. I saw some improv shows. I want to get back involved because I used to do this in high school. How did you, how did you go about that search process? What did that look like? <laughs> so at the time I was living in mid city. Okay. And I remember looking up improv studios and there was one that was like literally right down the street from me Ooh, we and love it was improv for the people. Whoa. Yep. That's Wait, that's, that's where we are right now. That's where we are right now. You've, However, you've been in this room since then? No. Oh, okay. Because the studio used to be at a theater on Washington. Ah. Um kind of over in Mid City, kind okay. of near the I think it's the near, near the 10, like Fair like Fairfax, Washington area. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um so it was in like a dumpy little theater. It wasn't it wasn't a dump. I just said it was that cuz it, it was dump. A, it's a nice adjective. Even dumps would call it a dump. <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> it had character. It had character. <laughs> there you it go. Was, there you it, go. It Positive was, spin. It was intimate. Uh, it's definitely not like what we have here at the Pico, but sure. um, it, uh, no, I got, I signed up for my first classes there and yeah, it just, I just, it was just a lot of fun. Just kind of stuck with it. And the first class, you know, super, super nervous. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just, but I was just like, I just kind of want to keep, keep doing this because it is a lot of fun and I want to keep growing and learning more about it and just want to, want to get good. Hmm. And what year was that when you started taking classes at IFTP? I think that was, I think it was like 2015, 2015, like okay. mid 2015. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you started taking classes there. Who was your first teacher that you had at IFTP? My first teacher, the teacher I had for my like, uh, audit class hmm was name was Brian Nelson. Brian Nelson. Uh, Shadow B Nels. Shout out to Brian. I know nothing. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Um and then after that class, Ava Abdullah, Ah. who is now who is back again teaching with us. Future friend of the show. 
Um, and yeah, so she was my teacher. Um, and so I had her for quite a while until I eventually kind of moved up to Matt's class. Mm. Okay. So Brian Nelson to Ava to Matthew Moore, our founder, our hero, our leader. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. So, okay. And that you started in Ava's class too. I didn't know that Ava had been teaching here that long. That's crazy. I, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, That's you know, amazing. it's, it was, is a super, super interesting to me? Cause it's like, whenever I go into just like any class, um, even in like school or like whatever, like even now as like an adult, it's like whenever I'm like being taught, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, I feel like that the instructor always has to be older than me. Yeah. And so it was like, when I learned that Ava was younger than, than me, it just like, it just like blew my mind. Cause I was just like, I just assumed you were older than me because you're teaching me. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're teaching me. <laughs> you're my teacher. Therefore you're, you are older. Yeah. yeah. Therefore you are wise. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know more than me. Yeah. That's, I mean, that totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, like, I mean, that didn't finding that out. That didn't like bother me or change, you know, my experience in class or anything like that, but it's just, just an interesting observation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause I think that's something that changes like as you become an adult and as you get older, suddenly sometimes teachers you have are younger than you. And that's, that can be hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. And, uh, I know I've had that a couple of times and I'm like, Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Like that, it, it makes me feel a little wheezy, but you know, then I get over it. Um, <laughs> Cause that's just me being dumb, mm. but um, that's a whole other issue. Okay. So you started at IFTP and clearly at some point there was a shift, right? You went from student, you know, you were coming to classes for a certain period of time. Were, were you in shows or was there a moment you remember where you invited to be a show in a show here at IFTP? I mean, we definitely did. I would, Definitely did shows um, while we were still at that theater. Um, and they, yeah, I, I wish I could remember them like, like specifically. Um, but honestly, like, I feel like the big, the big shift for me came and it might've been around the time, like before we, the theater moved from Washington to Pico. Um, was just that like, like after kind of both like, you know, going through, um, going through classes and also like a lot of the stuff I was doing like outside of work on myself, um, really just kind of like, I was, it was just resonating with me that I wanted to, you know, give this back mm. because I noticed myself like becoming more expressive and feeling, um, I guess, you know, just, lighter just in general it's like just kind of feeling more like open and like being more courageous and like doing things that that's that's that scare me or like and they like just kind of being okay with like with like the unknown mm. you know as you, i was a very like kind of like anxious kid still am now a little bit but like i was definitely very anxious and nervous growing up um and so to be able to just look uncertainty like in the face like week after week after week you know it's just like it was such a gift and you know and just like talking with talking about it with mad and just kind of noticing the impact it had on me i was just like i think it'd be really great to just like give this back and like provide that kind of space and opportunity for other people yeah oh, that's awesome so how how long into your improv journey did you come to that realization or like you know i've been a student for a while now and 
I've changed as a human, like, you know, like you said, being able to kind of embrace that unknown, which is not easy to do. Mm. And I know something I think that I struggle with sometimes as well, that anxiety you get trying to anticipate and worry about what could happen. Right. Um, So how long into your IFTP journey was that? That was, I would say about like maybe like two years or Mm. so. Because I think I started teaching around like 2017, 2018. Okay. Yeah. So about two years in. Wow. Okay. And what did that look like? Was that something that you brought up to Matt or did someone ask you? How did that kind of shift? You're like, okay, I've been here a while. This is what I think. This is what I realized. You know, you had some reflection. So what did that look like? Uh, that looked like, I've, from what I remember, I think it was just me approaching Matt and just being like, hey, what's the, what is the, what's the process looking like to become a teacher? Mm. Um, and to, um, yeah, just, I mean, I, I didn't really have a lot like, like in mind of like, but I was just kind of following this sense of just like, you know, this is like, this has made a big impact in my life. And I think what what's so great about this studio is like, it's openness to, you know, people from all walks of life, you know, people that are different careers and people that, you know, don't want to be comedians necessarily or you know be on snl like i think it's great that it is much more um accessible to all people um and there's just there's just something nice about um connecting with people like different people in 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 that way and not so much like it doesn't feel competitive or like you know everyone needs to be on the same trajectory so like just think just that potential for that to like be in that space and just like meet different people was just, you know, very exciting to me. And I was just like, Hey, like I want to, I'm interested in like, you know, wanting to give this back to people because it's made a big impact on me. And if I can help people, you know, to feel more expressive and Mm. just more, feel more play and fun in their lives. Like why wouldn't I want to do that? Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Cause you're like, Hey, I know what this can do for me. Yeah. I want to help other people get to the same place, which I think is amazing. And I think shows the uniqueness of this studio, right? Because like you said, this isn't a, like, we're not an SNL factory, you know, and that's okay. And, you know, I, I always think of it as like, people can come here with different goals related to improv. Just because not everyone has the same goal about improv doesn't mean you can't get whatever goal that it is you have. If you just want to come, come here and, you know, you want to do improv to kind of help, help you be more expressive, help you, be a better collaborator, help you be a better teammate, right? A better partner. You can come here and do that. But if you also want to come here and legitimately work on your comedy chops, you can do that too. Like yeah. it's, it's a place and a space for all those types of things, right? We can all come together with different objectives and what we do. And I think there's, there's room for all of that, you know, within these doors and within these classrooms. And I, that is one thing I've always loved about mm-hmm. coming here um, ever since, yeah, my first class when I walked in. So knowing, and you're a part of that, you know, mm. like me being like a like later generation <laughs> IFTP or, you know, like you're one of the people who's kind of helped build it into what it is now, you know, mm. and like for people like me who go, what's this on the internet? <laughs> and, uh, you know, finding it and rolling up and trying these different classes, like I can see that very much so and that you've helped to build that mm. Thank you. Uh, community that we have here now, which is really cool. So you've been a teacher here for about four years then. I know there was some pandemic mixed in there too, mm-hmm. which is, well, you know, it's the pandemic. Um, was it difficult for you kind of shifting from being a student to being a teacher? 
did you, you might've had to teach some people who were your classmates previously or, which can be hard, I think. Mm. Yeah. Or even then, you know, experiencing the flip side of teaching people that are older than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like you're like, Oh, now I'm doing that thing. Now I'm, I'm that doing guy. That thing. Yeah. <laughs> They're the one that's seeing me as like, who is this young guy? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say the hardest part for me about transitioning from a student to a teacher was just, you know, kind of feeling feeling confident in what I knew what I was talking about. Um, and I, even, even to this day, you know, still, still struggle with that, you know, of like, you know, do I need to have more classes? Do I need to like have an education? Do I need a degree in this to be, to be worthy of teaching? Yeah. Um, and all, and also too, of just, you know, being like with being someone that like growing up, like was not very comfortable with like getting up and speaking in front of a lot of people, you know, being up in front of, you know, like 10 to 15 people for like two and a half hours and like keeping the flow of the class going and like being able to like give feedback and, you know, and just kind of lead the class in that way. Like that was definitely a stretch for me and a stretch that, you know, and like looking back on it, I'm like so grateful for because it's, you know, it, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy and work to just kind of be up there and be on and, you know, for something that is as, um, you know, um, impermanent Mm. as, as improv, uh, for it to just, you know, be here and then just be gone and then to, be critical of it and talk about it and then just have to let it go. Like it's, it's not, it's not easy to make that transition and to like to hold that, that, that space in that way. But there is something that is also very, um, ener- energizing about yeah. it. Yeah. And I think too, like you mentioned the role of a teacher, particularly in an improv class, right? It's like you have to be such like, so on, Especially, you know, because you got to observe every pair that comes up, you know, or every group that comes up to do a scene or do an exercise because, like, they're relying on you and you alone to kind of help guide them or shape or, you know, correct if needed, um, whatever they bring to the table, which is, I mean, that is draining, you know, two and a half hours. You're like, pop, pop, pop. You're taking in every, you know, every suggestion, every scene, every line, every movement, every piece of space work, whatever it is that you see up there. And it's like your job to be like, just absorb that all and, you know, also be able to spit something out that's like understandable, which is not always easy. Cause I know I've definitely sometimes in instructional roles, I'm like, you know, something I say, I'm like, okay, well that sucked. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, okay. Uh, you know, feedback is, is there's, it's a skill to give feedback that's meaningful and actionable. I think, mm. um, you know, and that's tough to do. So how do you think, I mean, Yes, you've probably grown as a teacher from when you started to now. What do you think are some ways you've grown, let's say maybe both as an improviser and as a teacher from when you started at IFTP and when you started as a teacher to now? Mm. Let's see. Well, as a as a performer, I would say that I've like definitely grown in definitely not being as afraid to make like bigger, like bolder choices. Um, just that not being as 
self-conscious about like, you know, what are other, other people thinking about me? Mm. Um, and just kind of being able to just kind of go with the flow of things and kind of let things just kind of like roll off and just kind of like, you know, disappear. If like something doesn't like a scene or a character or like joke that doesn't land, um, and just kind of being okay with kind of letting it go and like, and, and moving on. Yeah. Um, there's always the next one. There's al- there's always the next one for sure. Um, and then as a teacher, um, I think the, 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 the biggest way that I've grown is in learning to trust myself more in terms of, you know, kind of like what I said earlier about like feeling like I need to like have more experience doing yeah, something. Qualifications. Qualifications, or- right. Um, and now just kind of like at that place of like trusting myself and like, yeah, knowing the, uh, you know, knowing like all the improv tools and like, you know, being able to like give good, like actionable feedback, I think is definitely very helpful. But I think, you know, just being able to create that space where others feel safe to express themselves mm. and to, you know, make mistakes and to just try this art form that is so incredibly vulnerable that, um, you know, it definitely just like really gets you out of your comfort zone. It can just, and just be really hard. And there's just to be like, have to have someone that is just, you know, really supportive and just like open to like whatever, you know, you, you present, like, I don't know. I, I, I definitely see, see that as definitely one of my strengths is just like being able to just kind of create that space where it's like, whatever, whatever you got, I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate you. Yeah. And I think that's, that's like a make or break thing, especially for new improvisers, you know, the kind of environment that their teacher creates because, you know, there are, there are some places you go and like that initial environment you have is pretty cutthroat and pretty brutal. Not going to name names, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, and that can be really discouraging or disheartening to someone who's new to improv, you know, who wants to try it out because, you know, oftentimes most people who start improv when they start for the first time, you're going to suck a little bit. And that's, that's the point. That's why you take a class. That's why you go and keep showing up so that, Every time you can just suck a little less and no matter how experienced you are, you're still going to suck sometimes. But yeah. the goal is that you suck a little less. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I think of it. Or you enjoy sucking. That's true. Too. I think that's, that, that's yeah, a big, you, you can kind of bask just, in yeah. the suck. <laughs> <laughs> that scene sucked and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's definitely something that I, I guess in my, I, not that I'm an improv elder, but I, I'd like to think I've been at this a little while now and, you know, I want to continue to learn and get better at is kind of embracing the sucking and like, well, that did suck. I kind of had fun sucking, but uh, <laughs> let's maybe not do that on the next one, you know, and just kind of have a more positive attitude about it rather than like the harsh critical lens of like, you're terrible. Yeah. That's, you know, for me, I think is a shift in mindset I've been working on. Hmm. Do you um, feel like, is that a mindset that is just related to improv or is that's something that you kind of have a mindset for other things in your life. Oh, I've always been so critical of myself as a performer. I mean, and I know for me that just stems from like, I've been in performing environments since I was like five years old. Mm. So, you know, it's either like, Hey, why didn't I get this part in this thing? You know? And it's, you know, that's a question that the director never answers. You have to kind of come up with the guesses yourself. You know, you can't be like, Hey, why didn't you cast me? Or why didn't you give me this role? You know, which is, You know, that's one of the great mysteries of life always for the the performer. Um, So I think that's something for me, a mindset that I've dealt with my whole life. And, you know, especially as a kid, that can be tougher because, 
you have less perspective and you know, you're just not as aware of how things work. Yeah. You know, and I think with improv in particular, I've, it's definitely a room where I've learned to give myself more grace because improv can be a more forgiving art because you have more control as a performer of what you do, who you play, who you are on stage. And you know, that, that control is like, it's a great power that can hurt or like really make you fly. So that's, I've grown to be better at that, but I'm far from perfect. I am still quite, can be quite harsh on myself. And I continue to strive to beat myself up a little less every day. <laughs> it's a process. Yeah. It's a yeah. process for sure. Is that something for you that you feel like you struggle with or have struggled with? Oh yeah. I mean, and definitely like as, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's this way with like anything that you like want to take seriously or like put some, like put in a lot of like time and energy towards, mm. um, like you want, like you want to be, I don't want to say the word good, but just like effective or like, you know, you want to, you want to produce quality, whatever it is, you know? So it's yeah. like, you want, like, I want to be a good solid improviser that is, you know, able to like make an audience laugh with like every, you know, every other line or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, so like definitely like those moments where like, it, you know, it's something doesn't land um, or just like a scene just feels really clunky and like, you know, just definitely turning that in and like, oh man, like, why did I do that? Like, oh, I could have done this better. I, you know, just started yelling at him and, you know, could have made a different choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I think it's such a, like improv is like such a great, there's such a great parallel between it and like regular life in that we just, you know, are just constantly making choices. Um, and that we do like, like I love what you said about, you know, us having the power to like choose, um, which is so important to do in a scene, but yet we still have that same power in our everyday lives. But I feel like, you know, it's so easy to forget that. And we just like go at it. So, we can just go at it so unconsciously at times. I think like you said, it's when we're not in the context of an improv scene, we forget the power that we have sometimes. So you're like, well, I'm not in class doing a a, a goofy scene. So (laughs) I don't have any power to choose anything, which is not true. Yeah. Because we make decisions every day, little ones and big ones. What do you, what do you think that that, do you feel like that there's like a, a distinction that kind of draws like, well, why couldn't you, why couldn't you bring the same level of like energy to like an everyday like interaction versus like an improv scene? Um, I think part of that is the the stakes that come with real life, Mm. right? Like, uh, I don't know. It's like such a work term, but like stakeholders, you know, like in improv, oftentimes it's you and your scene partner Mm -hmm. and you live and die together, you know, based off the choices the two of you make. And the greatest consequence in improv is that the scene might suck, right? But in life, the consequences are more dire, Mm. which is why I think we often feel limited in our choices because we go, well, if I choose this, I'm screwed or they're screwed or a bunch of people are screwed. Yeah. And, um, you know, things are a little more cutthroat, which is unfortunate. And, you know, that might also be something we put on ourselves as well, not just... It's not always a reflection of reality, mm. you know, cause there are probably choices I make every day that aren't as dire as I make them seem, <laughs> but me being a human, I, uh, get things confused sometimes. Mm. 
Yeah. What about you? What do you think on that? Yeah. I, you know, honestly, this has is, is been something that has just been like noodling around mm. my, my brain for like so long now. Like I've like ever since I've had like just like noticed these like kind of parallels between like our everyday interactions and improv scenes and just like, cause I like, I find in everyday interactions, like I can, I, I would say I'm more reserved. Like I'm not always like, I'm not always like Mr. Curious in terms of like, you know, asking questions about people or like just like wanting to know like, Hey, what's going on in your life? You know, tell me, you know, tell me your deep, dark secrets. Um, and, but then in like, but, and it's, it feels like such a different way of being than in like an improv scene where it's like things like, you know, things have to matter. Like, you know, things are exciting and, you know, like yelling and playing and doing a voice. So it's such a, a big difference, but like, you know, if you're in, like in, in a scene where, you know, you're, you're talking to like your girlfriend or like, you know, like your partner and it's like, how, like, how can I bring the same level of like engagement and presence in a scene to like going on a date? Um, and I think like what you said about like the stakes is like, a, it's like a great thing because it's, mm. cause it's like, you know, I could be one way, but then like this person doesn't have to yes and it, you know, yeah. they may want some, something else. Yeah, they made um, no but you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, but I think it's you know really like, and we're talking about this like power of choice. It's like how we choose to respond to it. You know, am I going to see this as like, you know, this person is not interested, or just like, you know what, this is um, just not the way it's going to work out. Yeah, and we have to be able to still accept that. I think, mm. especially in real life, like if something doesn't work out, that's still an opportunity. Yes. And <laughs> not that that's easy in those moments, but if yeah. you think about it, <laughs> well, I mean, and not to get, not to get super grim, but it's like, you know, we are in, uh, there is, uh, Im- impermanence to our, you know, <laughs> wait, what? Yeah. I'm sorry. We are all going to die. Michael. Is this a bit? <laughs> That's a uh, embracing one's more uh, mortality. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, it's, I mean, in, like in, in some ways it's like that's um, doing like doing a scene. It's like, it is like this instant birth, instant death kind of like cycle over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think there's something just really kind of powerful about co- like constantly kind of being in that and just kind of like allowing ourselves to, to like feel that like just on, on like a somatic level, just mm. like constantly creating and then an ending and then like, and then just like kind of moving on, yeah. moving on from it, just kind of letting it be and then yeah. letting it go. And we're fine with that in the improv context. It's very easy. Cause you yeah. don't even think about it. You're like, great, good scene. All right. Uh, what are we doing next? You know, <laughs> right. you're ready for the next thing. You're not going to be like, ah, I wish I could get back to that one scene. I did that one time. Like, honestly, I can't remember most improv scenes I've done oh, in my life at this either. point. Yeah. We did improv this weekend. I can't even remember like half the scenes that they did, you know? It's just, it's all done. But then, you know, then it's funny, like in like the real life context, you know, like you you go on a date with someone and then it doesn't go well and you're like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said that. Like, why did I say this? I shouldn't have brought up my parents. Like, it stays there for years. It stays there for years. Festers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Festers. Oh, yeah. It just becomes worse and worse. Oh, that's very true. That's really interesting. Yeah, the idea of like how quickly we're able to move on from improv scenes and go through that mini cycle, right? Like birth, life, death, and you know, a matter. It could be a one minute scene. 
I think I think there's also something like one of the components is in terms of like what we call you know what I mean like like characters like we're within that that space of like playing a character within a scene um, and like getting to be someone else like we're able to kind of disassociate from ourselves for for a minute like I don't know how I don't know if you've had this experience of like going out and doing a show and just like almost like blacking out oh, of yeah. just like not really remembering the show like at all, but like you, you, you remember doing it, but it's just like the actual experience was just like, you were just so in the zone and like, you just could forget about the self-consciousness like of yourself as, as Michael, you know, or as, as Benjamin, you know, and whereas like in everyday life, you know, it's like we're constantly looking and experiencing life through this lens of the self that I'm always my yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I think, yeah, with improv shows in particular, there's something special about it. And that once it starts, it's just, the whole thing is pretty high flying. So you're always kind of on edge and, you know, something that's unique to improv that I think doesn't apply to other shows, like a play, for example, you know, something that's scripted where you can anticipate what's next where improv the whole time it's just uncertainty from moment to moment. So you just kind of roll with whatever goes. And that that's why I think it's easy to get out of that headspace or like not even be able to remember. Cause you're just like, I'm in the zone. I'm focused. Even if it's good or bad, yeah, <laughs> you're still in it all the way. And it's that keeps improv separate. I think from other art forms where you're rehearsed and memorized and kind of going in with this, Oh, I got to hit my cues and things like that. Where improv moment to moment. It's uncertainty and there's a beauty in that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's also interesting too, when I like go and see like improv shows too, and like noticing that like inner critic of mine, like coming out of like, of course. Oh, this isn't that funny. Yeah. But, all, but also like noticing the need to just be appreci- appreciative of like, Oh, like they're improvising this. And so it's like what they're saying may not be funny, but it's like, there is a, a humbling moment of just like you know what they're making this up and mm-hmm. that is that's really fucking cool yeah there's there's always got to be an element of grace i think because at the end of the day it's like well i've had worse scenes than this so <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day they are making it up like you said and that's that's always a challenge you know mm-hmm. it's never like oh yeah it's always easy to improvise 100 percent of the time <laughs> not true absolutely not true mm. Okay. So improv in particular, I'd say, I guess the last seven years, I mean, being a member of improv for the people as both, you know, a student, uh, now faculty member, right. Performing in a number of shows, teaching a number of classes. I want to ask about the impact of improv on your life. And I think you've touched on this a little bit, but I, I want to expand on that more because you've talked about this time period in your life where post-college, you know, you were kind of wanting to improve or maybe change yourself and I think improv really played a role in that. Um, so yeah, what what has been the impact of maybe improv or just being involved in IFTP? How has that kind of changed or shifted your life outside of the studio? It's mm. a great question. Mm. I would say that I would say that just the biggest way that improv and being connected with IFTP has like impacted me the most would just be just be through my own self expression. Um, and just how many different ways that I've, um, kind of just like, just like branched out and like, how can I continue to express myself in a authentic way? 
you know, like there was, you know, moments where I was like getting really into poetry, which was also from a relationship too. So apparently I just do things because I'm in, I'm in relationships. Then I pick up new hobbies and things like that. Um, It's a good way to get introduced to things. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I started watching Parks and Rec. (laughs) Not with that same person anymore. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think just feeling, um, feeling more comfortable and like giving myself more permission to express myself. Cause I would say that there's definitely been an element growing up of like needing to withhold, um, or withhold myself from others. And I think with improv, it has just, it's really just helped me kind of blossom and just, you know, allow myself to be more expressive be more outgoing try things that scare me um and and yeah and i I think just like just just being more open you know just kind of being a more open person and just you know being more compassionate towards others and um just yeah it's it's just like this feeling of just just being just being more open and just more relaxed Uh, i would say it's definitely been like one of the biggest shifts that have occurred to me since, you know, teaching and becoming more focused on improv. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that permission you said almost like that permission or comfortability with like being yourself or your full self too, which I think I can relate to. Cause as a kid, that was something I often didn't want to do depending, you know, on who I was with or who I was around because for fear of judgment or just straight up like bullying or yeah. you know, things like that. But I think being an adult and, you know, doing improv it like you you have to show up and do that in class, whether you want to or not, because otherwise your, your scenes and your stage partner is probably going to suffer if you're not able to do that. If you're not able to, to do what? Uh, just kind of be yourself mm. in your work, like get up on stage and just kind of open up and let it all out there because that's, you know, being yourself is what lets your ideas get flowing and kind of helps you start generating whatever it is that you do on stage Yeah. instead of bottling it up. Well, and also, and also too, I'd, I'd add like the parts of ourselves that we may not want others to necessarily see, like the part of myself that enjoys talking in a British accent or, yeah. um, you know, just like, yeah. Or just like being yeah. able to like be, you know, kind of s- someone else that, you know, and like there is, there is something that is still kind of connected, you know, to ourselves when we are being other people. Yeah. or like other characters. Yeah. So it's like, I like to see those, like those as like other just kind of parts of ourselves that, you know, we don't really get to fully like express, mm. you know, in our everyday life. You know, we think like we you know we have to be this kind of like one way I, you know, I'm, I, I'm a teacher. I do this and, you know, I'm a, I'm a good boy, yada, yada. But like, you know, there are, you know, those parts of me that, you know, just want to be a, want to be a rebel. Yeah. I just want to be a rebel and just like, cause cause trouble you know or, or whatever but like yeah someone different than yourself yeah so I, and i think i think that is so uh, I, one of my favorite parts about improv is just the ability to kind of try on t- different hats allow different parts of our self mm-hmm. to be expressed um in a safe space i very much agree with that which is i think one thing that's just kept me coming back you know and what's again sets improv apart from other art forms and one thing you mentioned that I kind of want to touch on 
is that, uh, yeah, this idea, right, of, like, even if I am playing a character, like, that character is still inspired by part of me. You know, it's Michael's version of this or Benjamin's version of this. Mm-hmm. So, like, you mentioned, like, a rebelish kind of person. Like, the way I think about it, okay, it's time to get a little heady, I guess. Okay, <laughs> so you know how they say write what you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, and we can say that improv is that you're writing on the spot. Mm-hmm. So, right, if we're both in a scene and we're both, okay, you're playing, like, these cool, like, rebellious dudes or whatever, like, you and I are both going to write like the version of a rebel of what we know or what we've experienced or, you know, influenced by movies or books or media that we've watched, but we're still going to get, you know, there's going to be some crossover here and there, but it's still going to be, you know, the Benjamin flavor of rebel versus the Michael flavor of rebel. And I think that's kind of the cool part of it is like, again, tying back to being yourself of like, you know, a performer gets up on stage, they're given a suggestion and they're like, Oh, I've got to be a hoity toity British person. And that's going to be a mixture of whoever that person is plus like the influence and they write that character on the spot, which is just so cool. Yeah. And is why like, I mean, again, it just goes back to, I mean, why I love improv because I'm getting to cast myself as these versions of characters or tropes that are influenced by what I know and what I've experienced, but can be anything I want them to be at the same time. And that just, that that's electric. (laughs) Like that's, that's why I'm here every week, you know, because the opportunity to do something like that, you don't find it anywhere else. Yeah. And it's, and I think kind of like just what, what you just said, it's like, you know, we all have our own kind of like our own characters, like yeah. inside of us that it's yeah. like, yeah, your rebel is not going to be the same as, as my rebel. And I think that's what makes teaching both equally interesting and also challenging mm. because it's like, you know, how I may play a scene is going to be completely different how you interpret a scene. Sure. And so it's like, it's, um, I think I find that like when giving feedback, that's like one of the hardest things just like, well, this is what I would have done. But like, that's not always very helpful because they, you probably see it differently. So it's like finding a way to communicate, you know, what worked or what didn't work. And then maybe like provide like, Hey, this is what I would have done, but also like just still be like, Hey, you know what? That's what you chose to do. You know, it's like, that's how you were interpreting it. And it's like, okay, how can we kind of like hone that for you? And it's different for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as a teacher too, it's like you, you suddenly have the responsibility like to remain objective almost or like your choice works too. Like it's not just like the choices that I want to make, which can be a hard thing to separate because, you know, as a teacher, you're in the role that like you are an experienced improviser, you know what you're doing, but you have to be able to guide people to learn how to make their own choices, not the choices you want them to make. Well said. Yeah. Well said. And that's, that's tricky. That's a tricky <laughs> line to ride. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what I would say. It's like, whew. yeah, thinking about it. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't have, I'm not that experienced of an improv teacher. Like I've done a little here and there. I am, I'd say an experienced student, but being an experienced student doesn't always translate to teaching. You know, there's, there's a shift that has to happen and I can teach a lot of other things, but improv is still a, a teaching capacity I'm developing, I think. What did, did you notice difference in teaching the, the sketch class you taught versus like teaching an improv class? Yeah. Um, I mean, with sketch, I feel like there's a little more structure to it than improv where, you know, improv at the end of the day, you know, everyone has their different rules or philosophies, but it's kind of to me. Um, and this is something I talked about with Jamie, friend of the podcast, uh, is kind of like, those are all more guidelines mm. and you use what guidelines you need to help you be successful in a scene. So long as they're not, as long as your guidelines aren't hurting your scene partner. Right. Mm. 
Yeah, but it's not, you know, there's not like a sworn law. <laughs> you know, improv is, is loose enough where you can kind of mix and match different ideas and still have an amazing scene. Even two people with slightly different improv philosophies can come together and make an amazing scene. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But with, definitely Jamie. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is. <laughs> Jamie's like, I feel like a new age, like, improviser. That's how that's how I view Jamie's philosophy. In it. But I'm like, I'm down with it. You know, I'm like, ah, that makes sense. <laughs> Having, like, kind of tasted many of the improv flavors in LA. Mm. I'm definitely like, yeah, I think you're onto something because every school's got their like improv Bible essentially. And like, you know, you can poke holes in everyone and, you know, take good from each and still come out a whole improviser. Mm. That's a whole other discussion. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the difference between teaching, uh, I guess, improv and sketch and uh, just for like context, I taught a sketch comedy class here at improv for the people. Uh, over this past summer, summer 2022. And hopefully we'll have it again sometime in the future. Fingers crossed. Matt, if you're listening, you are a handsome, bald man. Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, so teaching sketch, I think going back to structure, right, Um, with comedy and with sketch, like you're trying to keep things very tight and moving quick. Similar to improv, you're doing things like showing, not telling. You know, it's about the action that's happening in the scene. Today's the day. You know, you're seizing a moment. Your characters are seizing a moment and you're finding something funny and kind of hitting that note repeatedly. Mm. You know, whether that's a character, a premise, a joke, a phrase, a physical movement, you know. But I think with sketch, at the end of the day, you're like, okay, we got four to five pages to kind of like hammer this home. We got to fit it inside these four to five pages. And there's a certain structure, you know, you cut the fluff in a lot of things. And with sketch, I, it's, I think the structure of it helps me as a teacher. You know, I can just sit down and read something and be like, I know this doesn't work because we're not escalating here. You know, and you can read back the lines that are written or you can watch it and see like, hey, like we need to work on our blocking here in these moments Mm. because we can use our blocking to add to this already funny dialogue. So just the, with sketch, you have a process to go over the same moments repeatedly and refine and tweak them a little bit by little bit. Where improv, it's like, okay, you did a scene. We can't go back and do the same exact scene. I can try and put you in a similar situation in a scene. So it's harder to reteach and refine moments over and over again, because every time you get up and perform, it's going to be different than the last <laughs> or sketch, you know, it's on paper right. you can memorize it. And, you know, we can mix in a little improv to our sketch here and there. Of course, you know, sketch is not about being verbatim. It's not Shakespeare, but there's a structure in a different way at the end of the day. And I think just based off the experience I have, like I did, I did a lot of sketch in college. I did improv too, but sketch in particular, I had a really great professor who shoots a fantastic writer, Susan Isaacs. I love you, Susan. Uh, she's amazing. She's done a ton of comedy writing and, you know, sketch and improv herself. Um, I think I just had a really strong example of that. And she helped form me as a sketch writer and kind of just helped give me, you know, the tools I needed to be able to, you know, read other sketches and see other sketch performances. And I just, my my lens is more tuned, I guess, for sketch than improv, where I'm still still working on it, and uh, I want to get better at it. No, that was a that long makes, answer. <laughs> that makes sense, though. With, I yeah. mean, with the with the structure aspect of of uh, sketch and being able to kind of look at the same thing over and over again, whereas like you know, in a I don't know, sometimes I love playing a game with my students are just like, you know, okay, go back and do that same scene again. It's just like, it's never the same thing. Yep. Yeah. It's even if you <laughs> get the same suggestion, yeah, it's never going to like, someone's going to do one thing slightly different and that turns the direction. Yeah. Or even having other students watching them do a scene and like, okay, you guys go up and you're going to go up and play these characters line for line. And it's always goes off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cause it's just, everyone's going to have their own spin on it just yep. a little differently. There's a, I used to, this is kind of a tangent. We're, we're taking the tangent. Um, there's this thing in acting and I don't know if you've done these before called uh, contentless scenes mm. where it's essentially, and we did this in my like freshman year, you know, intro to acting on camera class. Um, and I'm sure, you know, people do this in LA all the time, but it's essentially everybody gets the same script or you have a few scripts to choose from that are, you know, very basic pieces of dialogue, but it's the actor's job to, you know, give context to the scene. You know, what is the objective of my character? You know, breaking down the beats of each moment in the scene. So you can have, you know, it's scenes that start like, Hey, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, and like the dialogue is like, it's garbage dialogue. But the point is that how the choices you make as an actor, you know, the subtext and all the things that go into it where acting is so much more than the words. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's something like that. Like how you mentioned improv, right? Like you can give, uh, people the same lines or the same suggestions, but they're going to spin it differently. And I think that's an exercise that can be helpful in improv. Cause even though you're giving people dialogue, it's, you know, any scene you do in improv too, it's more than the words you're saying. That's just kind of a vehicle to get you to the next moment. Most of the time. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, those are some of my favorite exercises to do because mm -hmm. it's, then it takes the pressure off the students to, think of like things to say. Yeah. Um, and then it just allows them to just focus more on like tone and you know, their reactions and just like how they're responding, uh, and, and, and showing up physically, you know, yeah. like in, in their body. I mean, like it's improv is, it's, it's very, it's very active, you know, mm -hmm. rarely, uh, I mean, it's, it's harder to have like really good scenes where you're just kind of standing or just standing or sitting there just talking, oh, yeah. you it's know, it's usually bored. things need to be happening. Um, and I'm trying to think of where I was going to go with that, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, um, I, lo I love kind of playing those, those kinds of games with my students. Cause yeah. then it's just, it's just yeah. about like relating like yeah. as like, as, as people and less about what we're saying and just like how we're, how we're showing up in the moment. Definitely. And I, I think especially for early improvisers, it kind of removes the pressure, like you said, of having to think of things to say where they just have to worry about, Oh, well, how do I say this? Mm. You know? And that kind of gets like their, their mind going like, right. Cause they're like, Oh, and then now I'm going to start making choices, which is, I mean, improv is choices, right? You're just getting up there and making choices, <laughs> which ties back to so many other things that we've talked about. Yeah. Oh, cool. 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 Okay. So this is, it's kind of an oddball question, but I want to throw it your way. Um, do you have either as a teacher or just as a performer, like, do you have like any improv pet peeves? Like either just something that you do or that other people, you know, of course, very general, um, or like things that like Michael does <laughs> <laughs> that are just like pet peeves for you. Um, ooh, pet peeves. Um, you know, not necessarily that these things that other people are doing are bad, but you know, it's just that like you as like performer, who you are as an improviser, you're like, ah, man. <laughs> I mean, there isn't the first thing that is coming to mind. And I mean, and this is like a note that I give like a bunch of my like beginning students of like, whenever they, whenever someone says like, you know, um, we've been doing this for 18 years. Yeah you've been leaving your shoes on the floor for six weeks now. It's like those, 
those numbers mean nothing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, but I love, but it's, I, I, then I love kind of pointing out like how giving some sort of like number like that, mm. you know, is like a way of like not owning up to the fact or not like not choosing to see this as like a new event, you know, as like, as like something that is like surprising and it's easier to like kind of knock it as like, Oh, you're always like this. Yeah. You know, it, this isn't a new thing. It cheapens the moment. It cheapens the moment. Yeah. Cause then it's, yeah. Why, why as an audience are we seeing this happen, you know, for the billionth time? Yeah. We don't want to see that scene. Yeah. I don't want to see something that's happened. I, you know, over a period of 18 years, like wait, what the heck? <laughs> um, and then I would, I would also, I would also add to like, I've definitely gotten better at this as like a performer. And I know, I think it only really applies to like people that are performing, like Mm. maybe not as much for people or like students in class, but just like being able to like keep all of the action or like if you're doing space work, cheat it out towards the audience. Yeah. Let the audience see what, what you're doing. Um, Cause it's like, you are performing for them yeah you, you know? want to include them. even in class too it's like you are someone is watching you do this so it's like they're they're being mindful of that this is you know f- for someone else to experience uh as like a part of it mm. um is so important yeah it's like hey don't shut us out like we want to see what you're doing it's yeah. interesting because even just watching like simple space work you know that kind of invest you in the performance and you're like, Oh shoot, what is that? What are they up to? Cause you want to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just as an audience member, you're invested. Okay. I think those are both like very valid pet peeves. And I think, yeah, especially like you said, the time one, it's like you're making your own scene worse by doing that. Mm. Cause you're saying this moment isn't special. Yeah. Because the whole idea I think often of improv scenes, right. is like today is the day this thing is happening for the first time. That's why we're seeing it. Cause it's, this is crazy. You yeah. know, this is an impactful moment. But when it's, you know, a repeat of the same episode, loses value, loses meaning, loses urgency. Well, I can, I can also, I can see though the, um, like how saying a line like that of like, oh, this is like the X number of time that you've done yeah. this as like a way to like kind of generate c- yeah. conflict. Yeah. But it is coming from a way, it is coming from a place that isn't necessarily like surprising to like this character, but it's just like, it's more just coming from like anger and like, you know, frustration. Yeah. Which I think is, you know, again, I mean, I don't want to say it's a, it's a, it's a pet peeve of mine because I'm definitely guilty of like going into scenes like very heated and just like, you know, it just like turning it into an argument. Um, and so it's like, that's definitely a goal of mine is to continue to like, look for those ways of like, how can I be more like open and like loving mm. and, you know, in a scene versus just like automatically going to like conflict, conflict and, yeah. and arguing. Yeah. Yeah. What, what moves can I make? Yeah, and I think, right. If I think of a scene where they're like, you've been doing this for 18 years. I think that as a way, like I could see that as a performer, I was like, I'm trying to justify why this is happening. Mm but it doesn't, it doesn't play that same way, you know? And I think maybe hear me out. And I'm curious your thoughts on this, like a a move, like an alternative move to that rather than you've been doing this for 18 years is like almost giving an anecdote. That's like analogous to what's happening. Right. So you're like, this reminds me of the time you did this where it's like, Oh, like your partner just, 
I don't know, they dumped a cup of water on you. You know, that's a big moment in a scene. Mm. And then you could be like, that reminds me of the time you spilled chili on my lap. (laughs) Like, it's not the same exact moment, but it's referencing a similar event from the past, which then kind of gives it history to why you're upset now. Right. Rather than saying the same exact thing happened every day for 18 years. Right. Yeah. No, I think that is, that is a great, that is a great point. Cause it's like, there is that sort of like context mm-hmm. that, that, you know, piece of history gives to this moment, you know, and, and yeah, you very much may well kind of get to that same kind of, that it is kind of turning into that same kind of dialogue and 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 conflict, but I think it is, there is something richer about it, and that you mm-hmm. can use more of if you're building history versus like just throwing out like it's more it's more complaining about like the time than actually like the event itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, then why are you deciding to do something today? <laughs> like three weeks was the magic number. Now you're mad. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. That's a good point. Okay. So I got one last question for you about improv. Yeah. Go play some games. Cool. All right. So for Benjamin Roth, the improviser, the teacher, the video game trailer artiste, what do you think is next for you in your improv journey? Is there a goal that you have? Is there somewhere you're hoping improv can take you, whether personally or professionally? What's next for Benjamin Roth? Hmm. Well, one of the things that I've been... um, I've always kind of enjoyed in like being a faculty member at IFTP is like, you know, getting to do corporate trainings. Mm. Um, so like whenever Matt kind of allows us to, or to, to come along with him to like do a training, um, cause it, it, it again kind of brings me closer to this desire to bring improv into other spaces that are yeah. not necessarily performance based. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so, and like, and like, as we've, you know, been talking about choice and, you know, and expression, it's like, you know, these are things that we deal with on a daily basis. And yes, sir. <laughs> so it's like, I, I feel called to figure, to find more ways to bring the, the tools and applications of improv into other areas, you know, whether it be like, um, like, like coaching, or like, you know, or, um, into, into dating, um, or, you know, into doing corporate trainings. Um, cause it is, I mean, I would say improv is in some ways like a cheaper form of therapy too. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. <laughs> why not both? Why not both? <laughs> um, I know I do. <laughs> and, and yeah, so it's like, I definitely see the benefit of like, of how this art form can, I mean, it's, benefited me greatly and and like i can just i can only i'm only excited by like like the thought of like what it could unlock for other people and so like if there i definitely want to lean more into you know doing more like trainings and traveling and 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 teaching and you know maybe it means working just on my own or you know doing stuff in partnership with iftp i don't know um but i definitely see myself like kind of wanting to continue to take my skills as like a teacher of improv mm. and also like bring that into like, you know, in, into like coaching or like, you know, working with other groups or yeah. communities um, to kind of 
foster just like better self-expression. Yeah. And I, I like that idea. Like you said, mentioning those corporate trainings, which by the way, if you're interested, please head to improv for the people.com, uh, or find us on LinkedIn. Matthew Moore would love to speak with you. Um, anyway, <laughs> I think that's, that's a really interesting idea of, like you said, bringing improv into a space that doesn't normally have it. And I think, you know, it's helping people realize that there's value in this, even if you're not hoping to be a comedian, right? I think in a corporate setting, of course, like, you know, many companies have work that they're doing that is collaborative. They need to listen to other people. They need to work together as a team, um, you know, and build together all these skills that are like you learn in improv. And, you know, I think I'd like to think I, and I think obviously as well as you, I'm pretty sure would like, yeah, I'm kind of an improv, like evangelical. Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something important here that, you know, can benefit everyone, not just specific types of people. There's something here for everyone in this concept and in this practice and in this art. And like, I love the idea of that goal you have of like, how can we take this and bring it into places that might never normally explore this, but could really benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just, and I mean, just in the, like the fact that we are just naturally creative beings Mm -hmm. and like everyone is, this is just in like an art form that literally just relishes in that. Like it, it, uh, it is all, it is pure creation. Yeah. And so to, I think it's, it's like, as we continue to, to grow and, and age, you know, it's like, we, we need to continue to be in, in touch with that that you know that part of herself that wants to play that wants to laugh that wants to express yes um it's not just a thing for you know young 20 somethings that are mm-hmm. just moved to LA looking to become an actor yeah that's a stereotype but it is a stereotype it's for everyone improv for who the people ah wait not improv for the influencer not improv for the actor who wants to book a Geico commercial could be yeah it could be well those are all people i suppose they are people yeah I really like that answer. And I think I'm very much like, that's, I think a shift I want to make too. Cause I think at different points in my life, my goal or interest in improv and what it means to me has changed, you know, cause I think I was coming out of college very much like, yes, it baby. And, um, you know, not again, if Lauren calls Lauren, I know you're listening. Um, if Lauren calls, I will entertain offers, mm. you know, I'll have to think about it. But, um, I also you know, that's not my only path. And I think there's more to it, just sticking with improv and not, you know, not seeing it as just a vehicle to comedy legend hood. (laughs) I think that's, yeah, for me, a a philosophical thing that's changed over time. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, and you know, you will hear people talk about how, you know, like comedy and like laughter is like one of the things that you know, like universally, like even if we don't speak the same language as in, as other, uh, other cultures, like you can, st- we still like can communicate via like laughter and like play yes. and things like that. Yes. Um, it's so, like one of the things that I've been doing off and on recently was, you know, facilitating like improv sessions with, um, with, uh, people from, from Japan Wow. that are, you know, like learning, like wanting to learn it. English. Yeah. So it's like, it's been fun to kind of teach them some like very basic improv games. So sure. like just to kind of get them to practice, you know, yeah. English and, you know, uh, expression, Yeah. you know, when, you know, if, especially if you're from, from a culture that, you know, may not be as expressive as, you know, as the United States. Sure. That's, 
That's really cool. We got to do a whole other episode about that. Yeah, no. Yeah, part two, Benjamin Roth part two, coming to a um, podcast platform near you, um, which is every, we're on every platform. Every platform. Every platform, even YouTube. Um, all right. Well, thank you for sharing uh, like your, your goals and kind of the moves you want to make next within improv. I, I, I think that's my favorite question to always ask because there's, the answer is different every time. And it just goes to show like the pathways that can come from improv. You know, it's not just one thing. All right, sir. Shall we play some games? Let's do it. All right, let's do some improv. We've been talking about it. Now we got to do some. Okay. So we have a few games that we're going to be playing today. Um, Our first game that we are going to play this evening. Uh, This game is called adjective scene. Mm. And in this game, both you and I are going to be given an adjective that will influence our characters. Uh, I might also give us a suggestion just to kind of help us get rolling here because, you know, it's a podcast improv, so it's a little different than being on our feet. Um, so we're going to get some adjectives. We're just going to try and explore those adjectives to the fullest within our character. Cool. All right. Your adjective, Benjamin Roth. Surprised. 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 Okay. And my adjective is satisfied so i'm satisfied you're surprised and where are we oh we're on a farm great all right and uh we're just gonna go ahead and do our scene i'll black us out when we're done okay i'll never black us out (laughs) okay so satisfied and surprised oh my honey i can't believe how big the crops have gotten just overnight now darling i must say i hope they don't get too much bigger i'm Quite content with the way they are at this time. You know, not too big, not too small. I might be getting a little nervous if they grow anymore. You think there's a possibility that they could grow even bigger than that? I mean, the corn is already the size of a football. Oh, my. Now, that is a great observation, Delilah. But, uh, you know, uh, we have had an amazing rainy season this year. More rain than I would have liked, but I suppose I can deal with it and... You know, be happy about that. Oh, my God, Marcus. The, the, the rain has been absolutely ridiculous. I was in the farm just the other day, and the entire pig pen is now under muck and filth. Oh, well, you know, for those pigs, I like to keep it, you know, a little dirty, but not too dirty. Because, you know, I love those pigs, and uh, I'm quite happy with, uh, you know, their lives, and I hope they're happy with their lives. Oh, I've noticed that you've been getting quite friendly with the pigs lately, not coming into the bedroom at least three hours after the sun's gone down. Now, Delilah, that is quite the accusation. Uh, your, your suggestion that there could be some funny business happening in the pig pen. Oh, so there is funny business happening. I was just suggesting you've been spending more time with them hogs than your own wife. Well, I know I do seem awfully satisfied when I come back from the pig pen to our shared twin-size bed each night, Delilah. But the truth is that I just love watching them pigs because they got it so dang simple, you know? They don't have to worry about the things that I do, and well, gosh dang it, those pigs are happy. And, uh... I often think I'd like to be a pig. Oh, gee, Marcus, that is such the sweetest thing I have ever heard you say. 
I didn't realize that you were such a softy on the inside. Well, Delilah, I just often think to myself that, oh, if me and Delilah were pigs, we'd we'd be real happy pigs, you know, all pink and mud-covered, rolling around together. That's the life I'd love to live. Are you saying I look like a pig? Blackout! <laughs> oh, man, you served up that ending line on a platter. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> now that, ladies and gentlemen, is an example of gifting your partner versus pimping. Benjamin gave me a gift, and the gift was that a perfect button for, to end the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. All right, amazing, amazing. Ah, oh, man, I love being farmers. Yeah. <laughs> And boy, did I give you a lot of surprises there. Um, okay. That was fun. That <laughs> yeah, was fun. that was awesome. That was awesome. But even something like that, of just like having an adjective of just like having that one thing to like kind of just anchor, mm-hmm. anchored that character. Yeah, your philosophy. I was just like, yeah, I was just like, how can I just be surprised with whatever he says? Yeah. Marcus just always seeking satisfaction, you know, and it's a simple thing for Marcus. Whereas Delilah was, man, every day must be quite a ride for her. <laughs> Anytime new information comes her way. Wow. <laughs> okay. So moving on to this next game. This one's, uh, one's going to be interesting. This game is called Written by Randoms. And how this game is going to work is that, unfortunately for poor Benjamin here, uh, all my lines are going to be produced by a random sentence generator, henceforth written by randoms. And we're just going to play a scene where... I'm uh, I'm speaking from a randomwordgenerator.com forward slash sentence dot PHP. Um, that's the author of my lines. And uh, you're just going to do your best to work with me here. Okay, great. So I'll go ahead and give us a suggestion of, mm, I'll give us a location one more time. Or nope, just a word. I'm going to say ambulance. 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 That's our suggestion. Boy, this hospital sure has been pretty busy this Halloween evening. Snow-covered path was no help in finding his way out of the backcountry. Hey, I mean, Randall did a good job navigating that ambulance all the way from out on 22, all the way through those back roads over that patch of black ice. He did a great job getting getting that patient here before they choked. 100 years old is such a young age if you happen to be a bristlecone pine. Well, I mean... I don't know why they decided to put a, an, an old folks home all the way out there in the middle of the woods. I mean, uh, old people should be near the hospitals. Well, homesickness became contagious in the young camper's cabin. Okay. Well, you know, it was my, it was my second time riding in the ambulance and, you know, I got a little, I got a little sick, you know, I'm usually walking the wards and, you know, checking patients uh, files and i'm usually not out on the road he went on a whiskey diet and immediately lost three days hey being a doctor is real hard but you know honestly being you know being an emt driving around an ambulance all day that got nothing so i totally understand the drinking problem the green tea and avocado smoothie turned out exactly as would be expected yeah, well, you know, uh, St. Jude's has one of the best cafeterias in the nation. So I don't, uh, it's, it's without, without a doubt, one of the most nutritious hospitals on the planet. The tsunami wave crashed against the raised houses and broke the pilings as if they were toothpicks. 
Yeah, no, I saw the damage when they came in. They were soaking wet splinters out the wazoo. I had to pull out all of those splinters. It was absolutely ridiculous. I, I can't believe that they all made it. Blackout. <laughs> oh, man. That was, man, I was, my adjective was surprised in that one. <laughs> I was like, good Lord. <laughs> all right, but well done. I think you did a good job. Thank That's, you. Those were constant curveballs thrown your way. Those are, those are always fun. I always loved kind of figuring, figuring out just like, how yeah. do you make this work? Yeah, because like, it's like not even calculated. It's just the wackiest, most random things of, contagiousness and campers cabins and everything in between, but giving it that hospital context, I think was, you know, you, you played that really well. Definitely. Yeah. Like all kind of relating it back to that. Everything happens at a hospital. That's true. Yeah. Everything begins and ends. Life begins and ends in a hospital. Whoa. Sorry. I brought back. I brought back, I brought back the impermanence thing or the, (laughs) the permanence thing again. Yes. Circle (laughs) of life. Oh man. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. All right. We've got a, this last game we're going to play. This game is called CD sales and I'm a, I'm asking a lot of you for this one. So let's get into it. Great. So, uh, I am looking to buy a CD from you, your CD salesman. And for those of you who don't know, a CD is like, uh, it's a piece of plastic that has data on it and you put it inside a machine that reads the data and then tells you what it is. You know, probably the best explanation ever given to the CD. Yeah, yeah. Stands for compact disc. Compact disc, and they were like fairly compact, but mm, there are things that are more compact now. There are now, yeah, yeah. Like thumb drives, like they're more compact than CDs. They don't even spin. (laughs) All right, so uh, CD sales. So I'm coming in. I want to buy a CD from you. Um, There's a particular occasion I'm going to want to buy the CD for. We'll find out what it is and. What I need from you, I just need some maybe suggestions of, uh, you know, an artist or an album. And maybe you can tell me a little bit about their music. If you want to sing or give me a couple lyrics, love it. You know, whatever that looks like. All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Oh my gosh, this is such a lovely store. CDs Plus, wow. Oh, hi, hey there. Yeah, man. Hey, how can I help you today? Welcome to CD Plus. Wow, I love your vibe. Um, so I'm actually, uh, my uh, my friend just got their food handler's license, and I wanted to, you know, buy them a CD to celebrate the occasion. Oh, cool, cool food handler. Great. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know, so honestly, really exciting. you know, so what I would recommend for you for yeah. a food handler yeah. I would recommend going to the soft rock section. Soft rock. Looking up the goji berries. The goji berries. The goji oh, wow. berries. Yeah. The goji berries, you know, were a top band from the 1970s. Wow. That's a long time ago. That is a very long it's time like ago. 20 years ago. And they had so many bops about food prep and, um, veganism even before veganism you know became a real thing that's like whoa future forward thinking yeah yeah i mean they they touched like if you imagine you know you know veggie tales you know what veggie tales did for for christianity it was huge goji berries did that for food handling oh my gosh that's revolutionary absolutely revolutionary oh i mean they had a hit blend it and ship it blend it and ship it yeah that sounds like a like a banger. Yeah. It was yeah. like, blend it, ship it, blend it, ship it. It'll be there soon. 
wow, I felt like I was already listening to the CD. Yeah. And just, you know, the, what a like cool sound, you know, that just gets, you know, what a little earworm that is. Yeah. You know, that, you know, that sound was actually the sound of the, uh, of the propane tank turning on and off underneath the uh, the food prep stations. Oh my god! They gosh. actually sampled that from one of the, from their caterer. I, I I love a good unconventional instrument. Yeah, it gets me going. Wow. Okay, so that's just a one smash hit by the Goji Berries. You know, my friend Janessa, I think it's going to be head over heels. I I would love to hear. Do you know? Is there maybe you know just one or two other songs that they wrote? Just because I want to make sure it's a it's a good album that I'm buying from the Goji Berries. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, blended and ship it. That was their that was the one that made them platinum. Mm. But I mean, some of their other wow. like you know lesser known songs um, would definitely be you know they're more like. Um, I mean, this one's a little romantic, but oh. it, but I mean, it was are these eggs done yeah wow yeah so it's like they're, oh, they're, not, they're, not, they're, uh, they're not talking about regular old eggs you eat for breakfast mr cd salesman <laughs> yeah so um are these eggs done i mean it was it was very sensual um mm. it was like um it was these eggs they run these eggs are they done? The last <laughs> <laughs> literally at that point, I was like, "We got a great scene, but I'm, I'm just gonna play a little longer to see milk. what happens. See if we find it. anything. Yeah. yeah, see if we find anything. All right. Well, also, I appreciate you. There's some good songs you wrote there by the Goji oh, Bears. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. I was like, this is one of those ones where I was like. Uh, Benjamin can handle this. I'm, we're, we're doing this tonight. I, I had this one in the pocket for a while and it's just like, no, nope. I've been, you know, I've been a little nervous about bringing it on the podcast. Cause I'm like, it's, it's a lot of pressure, but I was like, nah, let's do it. Benjamin can do it. Yeah. Singing gray spacing. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was so close to getting up and, you know, actually doing the dance numbers, oh, but I was like, gosh. well, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to be able to talk to the microphone. That's so true. Was, it was this whole thing. Yeah. And it was, you know, bad radio, like oh, yeah. the audio listeners, you know, on Spotify would have been like, it's just silent in your footsteps, like <laughs> just the squeaky feet. It's like you're watching a basketball game. Like, <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, it is what it is. But uh, Benjamin Roth, thank you so much for coming on Improv for the podcast this week. I have so enjoyed our conversation just talking about your improv journey, your experiences, your shift from like student to teacher and kind of the perspective you can offer on that. Because I think it's an interesting thing that you know, we don't always get a lot of insight on. So it's, it's cool to hear like crack into your brain, mm. get an understanding of that. And I just love talking improv philosophy with you. Uh, any, any final words you want to leave us with today before we head out? Um, I know I just, I really enjoyed the time just to kind of just like talk one-on-one like this about, about improv, about overwatch, about uh, oh, just kind of getting to play, play some games. And, and yeah, I, I, I do very much just kind of like love love talking about, you know, improv and like its applications in like our everyday life. So it's like, um, and I, th- I think it's what's, what's so beautiful just about this art form in general. is just like, it's never the same. Mm. Like, you know, every scene, every show is different and it's just like, it, there's just always this like fresh and newness to it. That is just very exciting. And, um, that just kind of keeps it, you know, just like keeps me wanting to keep doing it. Well said. Incredible. And right, that's what keeps us coming back. 
for the newness, the change. Right. All right. Well, thank you again to Benjamin Roth for joining us on Improv for the Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Michael Lee Evans. And uh, if you feel so inclined, uh, please uh, leave us a review either on Spotify or on Apple iTunes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, get some feedback, or just uh, let us know if you're enjoying the show. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Benjamin. Improv for the Podcast was created by Matt Moore and Michael Lee Evans. Edited and produced by Michael Lee Evans. And finally, presented by Improv for the People. Interested in more IFTP? You can visit us at improvforthepeople.com or on our socials, such as Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, new episodes are released weekly. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.